Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Welcome to Healing the Grieving Heart. Before we start our show today, I'd like to deal with several emails that I've received. One of them is from a chapter leader in Houston, Texas, and he has bought my 10 uh, CDs uh, of my first 10 shows, and he said that they're excellent, but one of the issues is that they're long, so he has trouble playing them in a chapter meeting. And I just wanted to mention that if you do buy the CDs through the Compassionate Friends uh, or looking at my website, healingthegrievingheart.org, that there are three stops on them, so you can go into the CD in three different spots, so you might uh, consider that. And he also wanted to know what the simplest way to have people download the program is. On uh, He said suicide or teens. Well, the best thing you can do uh, right now is probably go to my website, healingthegrievingheart.org. I have put the show on the front of the first page, and you can click on um, on archives, and then you'll have to scan through their names of all the shows, and I've tried to um, say what the show's about in the name of the show. Uh, the next um, email we received is from Sherry, and uh, she says her son died, 20, uh, 20-year-old son died five months ago, and uh, she's been trying to declutter her life and reading books on meditation, and uh, she would like to have a, a dream about him, and she's had, uh, I believe she went to a psychic, and the psychic told her that she, he's trying to get in touch with her. And what I basically say to you, Sherry, is five months is not a long time, and uh, I would challenge any of us to declutter our mind or to be able to meditate in that time because it might have been my experience and others that I've worked with that we've got a really racing mind going on. So give yourself a break and, and give yourself time. I always say to everyone that you do hold that child in your heart. They're really with you all the time. Um, uh, January 5th, I did the show with Carla Blowy, and we talked about dreams, and I would suggest that, um, Sherry, you might want to go to the website, click on the archives, go to the January 5th show, and listen to the show where we talk about dreams. Thanks so much for your email, Sherry, and good luck to you. Uh, the next one we've got is um, uh, Howard, who uh, said that he picked up the show uh, his daughter, Susan, was killed in a car accident, and uh, he has a lot of issues with guilt and anger. And, uh, he, oh, he wanted to, he was wanted to, he'd listened to the January 19th show with Bob Bauer where we talked about anger, and he wanted um, to know uh, when it was going to re- be replayed. He couldn't pick it up right away. Well, the shows are played on specific times. You can see them on my website for three days, and then they do go on the archives. So be patient if you've uh, heard a show that you loved, Howard, and uh, or that you found was really helpful. I want to thank uh, you all for your emails and keep them coming because I think that a lot of us have these issues and they just uh, uh, focus on the issues that we all have. Well, I hope Howard's listening to the show today uh, because oftentimes the anger that we have is directed to those we hold responsible for the death of our child. This can be directed inwardly at ourselves or outwardly at others. When I do presentations uh, on loss and anger, a high percentage of those attending have anger directed at the medical community. Issues of malpractice and malfeasance are often a topic of discussion. Going, over, going after medical malpractice often leads to long, drawn-out court cases, which can result in defendants blaming the victim. This personality attack on the deceased loved one is a painful process for family members. 
The decision to pursue a lawsuit, even if it is clearly wanted, is warranted is a tough one. The desire to punish those involved can be a strong motivator. Punishment is often not realized, though, due to out-of-court settlements. There can be a lot of frustration and anger, and it can linger for years, those, uh, those you hold responsible, and oftentimes they continue to work in their chosen fields. There are a variety of choice points that we're going to consider today. The first is how do you decide whether to pursue a court case? A second question is when and why would you accept an out-of-court settlement? A third question is how does one deal with the results and accept the verdict? How often are medical professionals and others really punished, and is there a real satisfaction in that process? What is your motivation? It is my experience that there are few, if any, individuals who have lost a loved one that find monetary gain satisfying. When it is over and the court doors are closed, what then? Where do we go? How do we deal with our anger and outrage? Questions abound. Was it worth it? Did I find satisfaction? Did I save another person from harm? Was it worth the toll it took on my family? My guest today has been there and will discuss with us the issues of dealing with professionals, death of a troubled child. Please join us on our show today by calling our toll-free number, 1-866-369-3742. That's 1-866-369-3742. With questions or comments regarding the losses in your life, you can also email me through my website, healingthegrievingheart.org. These shows are all archived on HealingTheGrievingHeart.org and the CompassionateFriends.org website. Well, today our topic is dealing with professionals, death of a troubled child, and my guest is French Smith. French is a friend and the nas- a national board member of the Compassionate Friends. French's son, Stephen, died in 1999 at age 23 of unexplained anaphylactic prescription drug reaction due to medical errors. Because medical personnel tried to cover up the true cause of death, Stephen's body had to be exhumed. This began a father's journey to find the cause of his son's death and to hold doctors accountable. This is a powerful story of courage, determination, and a father's love for his son. Joining us later on our show is going to be Stephen Brewer, a litigation attorney practicing in Oakland, California, with the law firm of William, Avery, Chiso, Cavalli, and Brewer. Over the past 25 years, Mr. Brewer has handled hundreds of malpractice and malfeasance cases. French, welcome to the show today. I'm so happy to have you on. Good morning. It's great to uh, talk to you. Where where are you right now? Uh, I'm in Louisiana. Louisiana, so you got that great southern accent for us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much uh, for coming on the show. I know it's going to be helpful to a lot of people out there. Could you tell us a little bit about Stephen and and what happened and... uh, well, Stephen was uh, 23, and uh, he got in the fast lane and had gotten involved in drugs and had gone to a substance abuse clinic. And uh, they actually prescribed a drug inappropriate for him that was uh, not protocol, and he laid down and had a reaction and went to sleep and it stopped his heart. Wow. Now, how did you find out about that, you know, what how kind of a drug it was and... Uh, well, it, when he, he died, you probably what did you think when? Well, when, when he died, we we really didn't know. Uh, we were just puzzled, and and uh, what a horrendous shock to have him oh, go in. I found him in his bed. I went down and uh, checked on him, and he was dead in his bed. And uh, now, was this at the clinic or at your house? This was at our house. Uh-huh. He had gone to the clinic, and they administered the drug to him, and he had come home and laid down, and and just had the reaction stopped his heart. And uh, he died. 
Now, he, you were telling me, I think, that he'd been for, uh, really working on becoming drug-free and had not been using He had worked hard. He went through a three-month rehab, and he had been out for about six months, eight months, and he had a relapse. Uh-huh. Somebody had told him that uh, this was a place he could go and uh, get help, but it, it ended up not being that way. Uh-huh. So then what happened? You found him and... And, and we were told that uh, somebody else had died from that clinic, and that's when we started our investigation and found uh, Now, who told you that? They, um, a friend of mine that uh, knew a, another child that had gone over there. And uh, I say a child, it was actually a doctor's brother that had gone over there and had taken, they prescribed him methadone, uh-huh. and Stephen had gotten involved with cocaine. So he really was not a candidate for methadone, but they gave it to him anyway. Uh-huh. Now, how did you pursue this? How did you find out? So you heard that somebody else had died. Somebody yes, what else did you had do? died, and I went and talked to uh, my attorney, and we looked over the case, the facts, and we decided to uh, it would be worth pursuing. With with an attorney, though, you got to look at the medical records. How did you? Um, we had uh, we actually had to uh, get the state police to go get the records. They wouldn't release the records because you're supposed to take a urine test, and if you test positive to opiates uh, in your system or um, hydrocodones, then you can take methadone uh, to wean you off of heroin. Well, they had not waited for Stephen's urine test to come back. They had sent it to California, and they just automatically started him on uh, methadone. Wow. And when, and in the end result, we found out Stephen had nothing in his blood, so they overdosed him with methadone is what, what happened. It was totally against protocol. He should have never been given the drug. Now, you're very educated on this right now. I can hear that. You understand the words, the, you know, the protocol, all the different things. Uh, well, tell us about your confusion at the beginning. Well, we, we didn't know. We, um, we knew he went to the substance abuse clinic. He went to a professional clinic the first time uh, for three months. Stephen was looking for the silver bullet, something that could help him right today. Uh-huh. And that's why he was accepting to take whatever they wanted to give him if they told him it would help. Right. And I think a lot of these methadone clinics are unscrupulous, and uh, they're just out there for the money end of it. And we, did, we didn't know until we found out that this physician's brother had gone over there and was also a cocaine addict and had died from taking methadone. Then we knew something was wrong, and our death certificate came back and basically said, he died of natural death oh my or, goodness. You know, a seizure. So we knew right then something was wrong because, Gloria, methadone has a 48-hour half-life. Right. And when Stephen's uh, death certificate said that, we wanted the coroner to check his blood that they sent back with his autopsy. And when his blood came back from the autopsy, it tested uh, negative to any drugs, any methadone. And so we knew something was wrong because we knew, you know, after 48 hours, you still have half of the methadone still in your blood. Right. He had none. So we knew something was wrong. And so that's when the attorney petitioned the coroner to uh, exhume his body. Wow. Now, when did you first hear about that, and how did you, what did you think about exhuming the body? I mean, well, that was, uh, that was excruciatingly painful. We we didn't want to do it, but we knew that something was wrong. And Marilyn and I went to Texas. We went outside our state and had a DNA done 
so we could test the DNA to his blood. So when we tested his blood, uh, you know, compared to our DNA, it wasn't his blood. They had sent back somebody else's blood. That's why it tested negative. Oh, my goodness. And at that point in time, we knew we had to exhume his body to find out what he really died of. And so we did, and we see. Yeah, I mean, this is such a courageous story. If you and your wife, you know, it was going for the, I mean, it's incredible to do that. But we we uh, sent his uh, body off to another pathologist, and uh, we got the uh, results. Sent it to a forensic toxicologist at the University of St. Louis, and he called and said that. He was loaded with methadone. He died from methadone toxicity. Now we're going to be joined by Stephen Brewer. He is an attorney, a litigation attorney, practicing in Oakland, California. Uh, Stephen, I'm going to let you say what your law firm is. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, the law firm is William Ivory, Chioso, Cavalli, and Brewer. Great. And over 25 years, right, you've been handling uh, malpractice and malfeasance cases? Yeah, right. 25, yeah, it's, going, it's beyond 25 years now, but... Yeah. At break, we were talking with French. Welcome back, French. Thank you. Uh, and I know, Stephen, you've been uh, listening to uh, French talk about his son's death um, through, and we were saying, would you fill our audience in a little bit, French, of how he died for uh, people with just tuned in? Officially ended up dying from uh, a methadone toxicity. He was overdosed with methadone. Uh, he'd been a drug user but had stopped and had sought treatment. Yes. And then... Uh, uh, they overdosed him with methadone. And you also found out that they this isn't the first death that they had at this clinic. No, they had had other clinics, but they'd kept it quiet, so we were unaware what was going right. on. Right. Uh, could you fill Stephen in a little bit on um, what ha- what happened with the case? And then I'd love to get some comments from him. Thoughts? Well, we we after we exhumed Stephen's body, and uh, we found out the blood that came back from the autopsy was not Stephen's. We knew something was bad wrong. So once we... We knew something was wrong, and when we found out what his death was caused by was methadone toxicity, that's when we pursued the case. And uh, that was six years ago. And uh, what we thought we had a cut-dry case became a process of delays, uh, postponements, uh, attack, personal attacks, and just at the end... Basically of the on your son, year, right, in the court? Or oh, yeah, did you... yeah, we just it delayed... Um, it delayed because the the substance abuse clinic that was insured uh, was insured by a company out of New York, and 911 it hit two years later. So we were delayed two years because they we were not a, a, a allowed to pursue that particular company that represented the physicians. And you recently settled out of court. We we did. And what when was that? Uh, that was just in November. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that the judge, um, can I say what the judge said? Could you say, you know? Sure. Uh, basically, I think what you told me was that the judge said that um, he did you a favor exactly. by encouraging you to settle out of court because they were really attacking your son's character. Our, they, it was a personal attack, which my wife was on the breaking point. Plus, we knew that the judge pressured both sides to settle. He didn't want to proceed with the case, so we... We thought if we pursued it without his favor, then the end result would probably end up bad. So, yeah. Well, so there, by the way, there are two Stevens. Uh, coincidentally, a French son was also named Stephen. So, Stephen Brewer, could you do you have some thoughts on this case and some help for people who are thinking about suing out there or have settled or? 
Um, sure. French's experience is not unusual, unfortunately. Um, all too often in cases involving the death of uh, an individual, especially a young person who's, who's had some bumps in the road in their life, the defense is not on what was done or what wasn't done. It's, it becomes a character assassination. And uh, sometimes the, the character assassination extends only to the, the person who's died, but in cases involving very young children, uh, I've seen situations where it's extended to placing blame on the parents. For instance, not calling the emergency room doctor soon enough, not uh, providing an adequate enough history for the, the treating doctor to make a diagnosis. So it becomes something beyond what the real issue in the case is, and it becomes something very personal. Friends, did you find realize, that? Did they attack you? Uh, not, they really didn't attack us personally. Uh, they went mainly after my son's lifestyle. Uh-huh. And like my wife and I said, sure, I think what Stephen said was great. My son did have, he made some mistakes. He was trying to, you know, to make, make up for his mistakes. But a lot of times people think, well, a child, he should deserve to die because he was an, uh, an addict. Mm-hmm. And that's what hurt us so bad was they they took that approach. Your your son was a drug addict, you know. He he doesn't deserve. Yeah, Stephen, you know, do you have some more thoughts on that? Well, that is part of the the defense strategy. It's it's a it's a process where they wear you down, wear you out, mm-hmm. and at the end, um, they oftentimes you know most of these cases do settle. And one of the reasons they do settle is people are tired at the end. And they're tired exactly. and fearful of <clears throat> the trial and the potential of an adverse outcome. Um, here, you've got a judge who is doing what you know most uh, intermediaries do, most judges do. They want cases settled. They don't want to have to try cases if they don't have to. And so they will push both sides and they will pressure both sides to settle. Um, the I'm not sure what the the judges comment about doing uh, French a favor. Um, but I think that uh, that can certainly be construed that he saved French and the family from the agony of having to sit through a trial and listening to the character assassination that was sure to come. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things about this, and French and I were talking about it earlier, is it's really not about the money, and I think sometimes people get thinking that it is, you know, other people besides family members, because in these, when a child dies, um, Generally, it with with very little pressure, you can receive uh, money if that's what you want. You don't have to go to court because people don't want to go to court, so they're oftentimes uh, willing to make a cash settlement. So, well, rarely do I have people come see me, and the first thing that they ask me about is whether or not they can get money for their case. They come because they have questions about what happened to their loved one. Why did the person die? Um, they come with the motivation of never wanting to have it happen again to anybody else. They, 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 the, uh, the motivation is rarely primarily about can I get a settlement, can I get money from this. Right, and French, um, we were talking a little bit about that, um, about your settlement and about that you did close the clinic. Is that right? We did get the clinic closed down. That was one of the things that was one of our goals. And I do want to say, Gloria, uh, what Stephen said, the judge in our case is a real good person, and I think he really knew what was in store for us. And when he he understood, he knew what we were fixing to go through. And I think what we were looking for was an atonement to correct a wrong, and he knew that that probably wouldn't happen. 
Oh, I like that thought, the atonement to correct the wrong. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel after about, did you, uh, getting the clinic closed must have been a certain satisfaction. We were excited because there was a couple other deaths after my son. So we knew unless we, if the doctor whose son died, he came over to our house and he said, if I would have gotten that clinic closed down, your son might still be alive today. So I felt like that we needed to try to push to get it shut down, and we did. And this is a doctor whose, was it brother? Had died at the clinic before your son. Similar, his brother was a cocaine addict, Uh went over there. They inappropriately gave him methadone, and basically the same result. Um, Stephen, what do you find about people's uh, feelings after the case? Are they able to, if they close clinics down or whatever, do you feel like that gives them satisfaction? What about anger? I want to talk to a... Uh, well, I think French's experience is somewhat unique. The The fact that they were able to actually close the clinic down is not the usual outcome. Uh, it, it's very rare that after a, a given case that a doctor will lose license uh, or a hospital will be uh, subject to any sanctions or that a clinic will shut down. So that, that people have to understand that. Sometimes that, although that's the ultimate goal, that's not necessarily achievable uh, by bringing a, a suit for the death of, of your child. Um, the settlements typically are monetary settlements, and that's a mixed blessing. Uh, on the one hand, you can certainly look at it that settlements are not paid for um, on behalf of, of doctors who've done a good job, or, or hospitals or clinics who've done a good job. They don't. They don't give money away if they didn't make any mistakes. They they vigorously defend cases. On the other hand, um, the money, no matter how much it is, doesn't necessarily ever make that feeling go away. That um, that there's very very rarely ever an apology. And sometimes I think that's really all people are looking for. They're looking for. An apology. Uh, we have um, someone calling in now. It's a Sherman from Mississippi. Sherman, are you there? Garrett. Pardon? It's actually Garrett. Oh, Garrett. Oh, we got Sherman. Uh, Garrett. Hi, Garrett. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I had a question for French. Okay. Uh, first, French, let me offer my condolences to you and your family on your loss and applaud you on your courageous journey for the truth. Thank you. With that being said, you, you French, we know that family members deal with loss and stress in different ways. As the father of the family, how did you help your family deal with the anger towards those who caused the loss as well at the same time try to heal emotionally in a healthy manner? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, I tried to be there for my family to uh, let them know that I loved them and that I was there for them and to let them know that the healing process that hate, the hate, the angry only hurts us. The people that, the wrong, the people that did the wrongdoing, they're not, they're not affected, I don't think. But with our family, I said we had, we had, I have two other sons and, uh, we had to go on with our life and that, uh, we did the best we could to, you know, make a right from a wrong and just love them and help them and support them. And communicate with them more than anything. Now you're talking about like that. I, I love what you're saying, but it's been how many years? Seven, it's been six years. Six years. How were you as it happened? Uh, disastrous. All of us. 
uh, were handled in a different way. I have two sons. My older son talked about it, handled it, cried with us. Our other son blocked it out. He wouldn't discuss it, uh, wouldn't come over to the house. Uh, my wife, men and women grieve differently. Uh, women like to talk about it. Men usually bury themselves in work and don't communicate. And, and uh, also action. You were taking action about your son once you yes. got to the lawyer and all that, which would maybe be kind of a male thing, would you think? Uh, I think so. I think so. Mm-hmm. Going into action. Is that your uh, experience, Stephen? Is that, do you see men coming more for? No. Oh, you don't? No. You see more I, I really don't. Um, I think it, 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 it it's not a maybe uh, gender thing. I, mm-hmm. I really believe that it, it's more of a, a matter of conviction. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people think that something has been done to a loved one, it shouldn't have happened that way. The conviction is what brings them in, and I, I don't think it's a gender-based. Mm-hmm. Now, I love I love the uh, thing. Um, uh, uh, Garrett, have we lost you? Did he hang up? I, I want to thank uh, people who call in for the show. It was it was a great question. Um, I love the forgiveness part that you were talking about, and Garrett asking you how you dealt with it now. And I think, what kind of shape are you in right now, French? Do you feel like? uh, better? It still creeps in. Uh, the anger that it happened to me, that it affected our lives. Uh, you get angry because it should have never happened. And I will say what Stephen said about the men, women are willing to start off and fight it, but they're not as strong. And like my wife at the end, part of the process of settlement was she couldn't take anymore. She was absolutely on her wits end. I thought she was going to have a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. So she couldn't take the punishment that the, the trial was starting to give her. Like listening to him disparage your son when you knew he didn't do anything to deserve to die. She just couldn't take it. And it was hard on me, but, but I was willing to fight it because I wanted to correct that wrong. Now, were you, were you looking to send somebody to jail? Was that it? Or you did really get the clinic closed? I was really looking for a, a jury to say and rule in our favor. Okay. Say, so yes, so that's wrong and you were right. So that's what Stephen's talking about is that people want that. that. Exactly. Yeah, but exactly. how it's often do they get it? It's easy to forgive somebody if, if, say, they would have come to us after Stephen's death and say, we screwed up. Man, we're sorry. We, we messed up. We didn't follow the protocol. It slipped by us. I don't, I'm not going to say we will still wouldn't sue, but I'm saying that would. Yes. Because in our case, they did so many things wrong, but it sure would have helped. Uh, yeah, I don't know, and Stephen, if you're aware of this too, I understand that in the medical community right now, they're starting to talk a bit about let's go to the families and talk to them and not um, not try to stiff arm it and that kind of thing because in the past lawyers have said don't talk to the family and some of the things that I've heard that they've been talking about in medical school is maybe we should be talking to the family. That's that's precisely what is occurring. They are now starting, starting in medical school to teach the, the, the medical students, the residents, that they need to have better communication with the families. And uh, the studies would tend to indicate that people are less prone to go see a lawyer if they get honest communication from their health care provider about things that have gone wrong or problems that have occurred. Um, as I, So many people come to me because they don't have that good communication with the doctor. They don't have the answers, and they're looking for those answers. And I've, I've always said that 
better communication by the healthcare professionals could save them a lot of grief down the road in terms of lawsuits. And I know we're doing some arbitration now too, right? Did you try to arbitrate at all, French? Or? Sure, sure. We tried to arbitrate, and uh, it didn't. It didn't work. Uh, it worked with one individual that we were dealing with, but the other one it didn't. I will say, Gloria, that because I'm in the pharmaceutical industry and I deal with doctors, there's a lot of great doctors. There's some bad ones out there, and those are the ones that needed to be, you know, pointed out. Yeah, I, I just think um, they really didn't know who they were coming up against when they came up against you because you do have that kind of information being in the pharmaceutical industry. And the other thing is it shows how hard it is to have anything happen. I mean, you've got this, wouldn't you say, Stephen, he's got this professional experience, he's pulled together, all that kind of thing, but you still don't get that uh, satisfaction. No, and that's what people have to understand about the legal process. There are certain things the legal process can do for people, and there are certain things the legal process cannot do for people. And that's the, uh, that's the obligation of the attorney to make sure that folks understand what ultimately they can expect in terms of an outcome in a case. And as I said before, French's situation where he was actually able to shut down the clinic is a is an absolutely fantastic example of the, his determination. But the reality of it is that's a very rare circumstance. And let us say that during the break, French said that they probably moved to another state, yeah. well, <laughs> which, you know, even having the satisfaction of cutting uh, closing down one clinic may not mean that they won't. Uh, open somewhere else. Well, that, that, that brings up the other problem of the medical profession not necessarily policing itself well enough. Mm-hmm. But that may be a topic for another show. Yeah, and also that may be something that uh, some person might want to work on uh, helping the medical profession police themselves better as a kind of a mission or something. Um, the things that you can do from this French, I know you've gone on the board of the Compassionate Friends, which I think is, uh, does that service, do you think, help you? Yes. The thing that helps me the most uh, in dealing with Stephen's death is helping other people, is reaching out. I can't explain why that is, but uh, reaching out and helping other people deal with their adversities helps you. Yeah, it's amazing doing service. Have you found that, Stephen, with people? Yes, and the other thing that I've also seen is that people tend to like to be able to talk to other people about it, share um, what has happened to them and in the process not only help themselves but help others. Yes, that's one thing the legal system does do. It gives you the opportunity to keep telling your story over and over. That's right. Uh, and it is important to be able to get your story out there. And sometimes maybe you do have to do it through the legal system, um, you know, you, that you do need to tell your story and, and hear other people's stories, which changes your story. And um, those are important things to be able to do. But eventually... Uh, it's my thought, French. I don't know about you, and maybe Stephen. You need to move beyond that anger. Yes, and it, it because I, I understand anger only hurts you, resentment only hurts you. It affects your life, and that's easier said. It's easy to say that, but it creeps in on and off. But today, six years later, it's a it's a lot better because we didn't get what we wanted. Uh, we didn't. It wasn't about the money. Everybody thinks you sue because of money. I sued to get answers, and I had some great attorneys. They told me what to expect. Uh, they told me before the settlement. They didn't push me to go either way, but at the time of the settlement, uh, I wanted to pursue the trial. My wife could not. My other son, my younger son, could not. 
so I chose to uh, to take the settlement. Mm-hmm. And therefore, at this point in time, I feel in one way relieved that my family's not under that long, stressful burden uh, because it's on your mind every day. But I'm disappointed that the individuals that caused us the pain in our son's life really were not held accountable or punished. But, again, that's not what the lawsuit's about. And I think that's where people get confused. They think the lawsuit is a cure-all. It's going to solve all the problems, and it doesn't. You still, you basically still have to walk that journey of grief. Right. And the lawsuit's not going to. Right. It's not going to stop you from having the journey. Well, Stephen, I want to thank you so much for being on the show, Stephen Brewer. It's been great to have you on. And uh, and um, do you have any thoughts uh, about the the uh, show or the case or anything in closing? I I think this has been a it's a wonderful forum for people to uh, to get out uh, their 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 feelings, uh, and I wish French the best. I think his uh, his journey has been rather remarkable, and uh, of course he still has a, a fair amount of that journey to complete. But it sounds like he's doing a, a marvelous job of it. I wish okay. him the best of luck. Okay, Stephen, you're in Oakland, and give us the name of your law firm again. All right, one more time. It's William Ivory Kioso Cavalli and Brewer. Do you have a website? We do. It's uh, www.giccb, it's the in, uh, initials of the, the members of the firm, .com. Great. Thank you so much for being on the show, and have a great day. Well, I'm pleased to say that along with French, we have Kristen Creed joining us. Uh, he is the attorney that dealt with uh, French's case, and he is with a law firm of Creed and & Creed. And where are you located, Christian? Good morning, uh, I, Gloria. Uh, I'm in Monroe, Louisiana. Monroe, Louisiana. Great. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. It's uh, been quite a story that French has. It must have been quite a journey for you to, to walk with him. It, it certainly has been, and it's unlike any other case we've ever dealt with. Uh, but it's it's been a, uh, it's a, a terrible thing that brought us together, but it's it's been a nice uh, relationship over the years. Uh, and I compliment uh, both French and Maryland on their uh, courage and and through the process they really have helped a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, since Stephen's death. Yeah, well, certainly in coming on the show, and uh, I, I think uh, it's kind of amazing to have an attorney that's willing to come on your show. To, you know, to have French call you and have you come on the show, it says a lot about about the person you are and the kind of relationship you have with him and with your clients, indeed. Well, thank you. I, I, I do feel we have a, a very special relationship. And if you know, know French, you can't really deny him. <laughs> <laughs> he won't let you. Well, um, do you have any thoughts about this case and the settlement, and uh, how did you feel about it as an attorney? Well, you know, inherent with any settlement is, is compromise. I think uh, uh, notwithstanding the fact that it, it was not about money, um, with the Smiths, and it never, you know, it never was. Mm-hmm. Uh, that unfortunately, that's that's the way in which the courts can um, compensate somebody for the loss. Uh, that's you know, it's, it's a monetary compensation. Uh, so naturally, and, and unfortunately, you can't put a price tag on somebody's loss, but um, uh, or the loss of life. In in this case, um, you know, it was bittersweet. I think uh, French wanted his day in court. Is he? said earlier, uh, his family uh, members, uh, Marilyn and Stephen's younger brother in particular, I think would have had a very difficult time going through the uh, trial. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess in in that sense, it was good to resolve it. I think uh, I just and French can speak for himself. I think he he kind of wanted his day in court just to kind of get some things off his chest. Uh, the judge, I think, was well intended by recommending that they settle it. And I think it, it wasn't so much that he did not want to try the case. I think it was uh, more that he just didn't want to see the family have to go through uh, bringing up all these terrible memories. And I think uh, it's tough for everyone, isn't it, in the courtroom, for you, for the judge, and everyone to hear character assassinations or the way the trial does go. It certainly would be difficult. It was difficult through the uh, deposition process of having to sit there uh, and listen to French and Maryland's testimony or, yeah. or that of their uh, two other sons. I mean, it was tough even as their attorney. Of course, you know, I, I feel as I'm more than that. So, I mean, it was it was difficult to sit through that. Yeah. Uh, if it was difficult for me, I, I just can't imagine how it was for them. And it would have been more the same had we gone to trial. Although, uh, I think, um, you know, the defense, you know, really didn't look forward to having to try this case before a jury. I think at the end of the day, it, you, know, they, you know, they would not have uh, had a good result. Yeah, yeah, I would assume they wouldn't have. Uh, French, uh, we're, uh, you're kind of aware of how it is when we tell our story to people. It is hard for people who are bereaved parents, don't you think? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's extremely hard. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, I'll tell people what, what I'm doing on the show, and they'll be like, gasp. <laughs> But <laughs> I'm doing a show talking to, to bereaved parents. Uh, but um, it's so important to be able to tell these stories. I think that is one thing the legal system offers, as as you said, Christian, that day in court where you can tell the story. Now, you never went to a jury then as picking a, selecting a jury. Or no, anything. we actually, we uh, we went to court. You know, you often hear about cases settling on the courthouse steps. This was one of those uh, instances we... we uh, began to panel the jury, and, and we had prospective uh, jury members, uh, you know, there in the courtroom. The judge pulled the attorneys aside and and, and really, mm. I, I hesitate to use the word pressure, but it, it's almost, uh, uh, you know, that's what he did. I mean, he pressured, pressured us to settle it. And I think his, his, um, his interest was, uh, you know, that he didn't want to see the Smith family have to go through the the trial if if we were fairly close with the settlement, and uh, of course we took less than what we we initially thought the case was worth, but the defense had to pay more than what they had initially offered and and what they initially had authority for. Mm-hmm. And the clinic did close. Clinic did close, and uh, and I think we had a, a part in that. I mean we. Spent a lot of time, not not just with our civil case, but working with the authorities, uh, all the way up to the attorney, state attorney general's office, all the way down to the local district attorneys. So, uh, and and I must say that French was pretty tenacious about uh, seeing to him that it was closed. Yeah, you know? French. Um, before, as I said, before we end the show, is there something else that you'd like to say that you feel we've missed? Or, well, the only thing I'd like to say, if um, people are thinking about pursuing a, a lawsuit, they really need to, to decide if they're mentally and physically prepared to face the many stressful events that's going to come their way, and also be prepared for a long haul. We settled after six years. Mm-hmm. And also understand that it's not going to make things better in dealing with your child's death, 
that's sort of a lifelong journey that you have to travel yourself. It's uh, I, I was like I said after we settled, I was happy it was over with, but disappointed that I thought I could accomplish more. But you know, Christian and the judge, they were looking out for my best interest. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in the long run, my wife and I said it was the right thing to do. So you really need to make sure your family's together. Make sure you know your attorney because Christian's been real good. Every time I need to talk to him, I you know he's available to me. And uh, because it's not what you think it is, you know, a lawsuit doesn't solve the problems. Mm-hmm. And and I've heard people say that they didn't feel that much better after. Yeah, so maybe some of it is self self forgiveness. Do you think? Uh, absolutely, that, absolutely. That you could have done more to say, you know, to, so that they hadn't had it happen, and so you need to deal with it later or whatever. Exactly. So uh, good advice. And um, well, do you have an email? Would you want people to email you or thinking about a court case? Uh, sure, it's uh, French L. Smith at AOL.com. Mm-hmm. And how about you, Christian? Do you have a website? We we do. It's uh, www.creedlaw.com. Great. Well, thank you so much for calling in and being on the show, Christian. I really appreciate it. And thank you, French. It's been a wonderful show, and uh, I think you're just great. And you will be presenting at the Compassionate Friends Conference in July uh, in Dearborn, Michigan, and people can go on the Compassionate Friends website. I'll be presenting there. And we would love to have you join us. Uh, um, French will be talking more, I believe, about um, malpractice and lawsuit. Is that right? Yes. Great. Okay, thanks so much again for being on the show, both of you, and it's time to close our show. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.